the College Planning Edge. Multiply your odds of getting into your dream college and get your hands on thousands of dollars of fat, juicy scholarships. Brought to you by Lockwood College Prep, helping college-bound families get the edge in college admissions, financial aid, scholarships, and test prep. This episode of the College Planning Edge was originally broadcast as a part of our Facebook show, College Talk Tuesday, which is on Facebook.com slash Lockwood College Prep. And we talked about what happens after you file your financial aid forms. Pearl says this all the time, and she should know because she files about 300 families worth of forms each year. Filing your FAFSA and your CSS profile and other financial aid forms is not when things end, it's when they start. And frequently, it gets really frustrating and anxiety-ridden after you file. So in this episode, you'll learn how to cope with that and come out smelling like a rose. Enjoy the episode. And if you like it, please write us a review. Uh, Leave us a delightful five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening to this. Thanks. Oh. Good morning. Welcome to College Talk Tuesday. Andy Lockwood here. Pearl is on special assignment. This is going to be the last episode of College Talk Tuesday for 2020. And a lot of people, are, I think, share the sentiment of, wow, I'm so glad 2020 is over. Uh, we actually had a pretty good 2020, all things being even, all things being considered. So hopefully uh, things weren't so bad uh, for you. And I'm looking forward to 2021. I'm not sure how much different 21 is going to be compared to 2020. I know we have a lot of changes that happen, but I'm not sure what that's going to translate into yet. Um, so I always find that amusing. Um, one of the things we always talk about is that college is really a means to an end. It's not really about, uh, and a lot of our discussions, you know, uh, tend to focus on getting into college, paying for college, uh, essays, SAT prep, which test should I take? Does it even matter? Scholarships, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's all very, very important. But, you know, one of the fundamental things that we always talk about um, is that that's not the big picture. The, bi- the bigger picture is not so much the four years of college, the 40 to 50 years after. College is a means to an end. It's a, you know, it's a launching pad to help our kids be successful post-college. And we're college advisors, Pearl and I, but you know, for us, this process is really about launching kids for success post-college. It's not focused on these tactical things, such as getting scholarships and financial aid and et cetera, et cetera essays, whatever. Um, one of the things I say a lot, which, and I, I uh, apologize if you've heard this before, is if you were to focus all of your energy and time and money, frankly, on rushing to an airport, but you had no idea where the flight was going, going that would be idiotic. But that's a good analogy, metaphor? It's a good metaphor for what a lot of families do in the college process. So the other day, Yesterday, actually, I was um, speaking to a prospective client from Worcester, Massachusetts, not Worcester, not Worcester, but Worcester, Mass. And it doesn't really matter where she was from. I just wanted to pronounce it that way. And, uh, and, she, and, we, and just about this point, exactly about how it's really easy to major in all kinds of stupid stuff. You can go to UConn and major in puppetry and, and graduate, you know, after spending I don't know, 40 something thousand dollars a year, $160,000 uh, 
and, and get out with that degree. You can go to my alma mater, Wesleyan, and you can major in less commonly taught languages. Hmm, why are they less commonly taught? You may wonder. Probably because no one gives a you-know-what about them. So she said, yeah, you know, I, a girl was interviewing for a secretarial position at my office, and she has a master's degree in Greek mythology. Six or seven years of education to come out with that. Not to mention all the money that was put in. I don't know if she has student loans or her parents had loans, but oh my God. I, and I and I love I happen to be very interested in Greek mythology, at least I used to be, but I didn't major in it. You know, I would read up on it on my own time, or I'd watch, you know, bad movies about it, or you know, so so my point is that it's very irresponsible for colleges before coronavirus, and now we're starting to see like a little bit of shifting. But it's still very irresponsible them to offer these types of of majors. And I mentioned this last week with Pearl. We talked about all sorts of other extremely popular majors, and this is not politically correct. But you know, to me, what's the difference in majoring in Greek mythology versus gender studies? Um, so, so colleges are starting to take majors like that and either eliminate or consolidate them, or you know, not not necessarily the courses, not the classes on those topics, but certainly the ability to major in them and get a degree in them that is supposed to, in theory, have some sort of value in the marketplace. Now, I'm not saying college should be a, a trade school. I mean, there are trade schools, which are great. And we have a lot of families who's, uh, who are products of trade schools who make amazing livings. <laughs> so it's not about putting down trade schools at all. Um, I think going to college is, is important, but um, I think you have to be very mindful of what you're going to get out of it and you need to have a plan. So in our process, you know, and this is something else we talk about um, a lot, is that for us, the beginning with kids is always about, well, how are you wired, objectively speaking, not based on opinion, and what can that translate into in terms of places in the world where, where you can not only love what you do, but you can also make a living at it. So you can love Greek mythology but unless you're teaching it at a university level, which I can't imagine, I didn't look this up, but I can't imagine that that's a growth field. Um, you're not going to make a living at it. And I'm not sure that, you know, writing about Zeus and Apollo and all this stuff is, is a skill that is translatable into a real world type of job situation. So, it's it's ironically this focus on what's next is never really what people come to us for unless they've already been through our process or they've talked to another family who referred them who's been through our process because again most people are kind of stuck in well uh, I heard you know from uh, a friend uh, I, was, I was dating this girl who's an alumni interviewer for some such and such Ivy League college and she said that uh, you should focus on blah 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 blah. Uh, so anytime I hear things like that, I have to mentally choke myself off from from blurting out, no, alumni interviews have no idea what really goes on in admissions, plus their interviews don't count. Those interviews are more, are more to benefit the college in keeping the alumni part of the fold and donating. They're not very helpful in terms of helping kids get in to schools. In fact, they're not helpful at all. Plus, you are focusing on tactical type things, which again are important, but they're missing the strategic, the high level, bigger picture, 30,000 foot view 
stuff. So I, I just want to share that with you because the conversation yesterday about the Greek mythology uh, master's degree person was very, very striking to us. Um, I had another conversation this morning with a, a group that I'm part of. And one of the questions that I got was, well, do you, do you, you know, given that, do you steer people away from these uh, expensive private colleges because they're going to get out with a degree that, you know, maybe it's something, maybe it's a good major, but is it worth paying double for, you know, University of Michigan compared to your local state university in, in New York? That would be a Binghamton, for example. And I actually said, well, yeah, I, you know, you go to Michigan not because the education is so much different than Binghamton's, because of the other intangibles, um, such as, you know, the rah-rah aspect, the, you know, the big football school and normal non-pandemic times, et cetera, et cetera. But I do believe that the Michigan Alumni Network is pretty powerful. I don't know if it's worth paying up double uh, to, to go to a school like that. But I do think it's a great school to help you get out. But what I, what I said was, this may sound counterintuitive, but um, private colleges tend to be the ones that discount you more so than some University of Michigan might have a lower, um, if you're going out of state, it may have a lower sticker price than a, a quote unquote expensive private college. But 89% of families who attend private colleges get a discount, 89%. And the average tuition discount, which has increased every year and it's spiked up this year, this in this past pandemic 12 months or almost 12 months, uh, the average tuition discount is now, I, I heard on a webinar last week, 59%. It was 52.2% last time I checked. Now it's up to 59%. And that's at the private schools that charge more, higher ticket price, bigger discounts. So if you're looking for that college return on investment, that means two things that I just kind of alluded to in between the lines here. One is getting more out of it than what you put in. What does that mean? Getting a return on that investment not majoring in something stupid, majoring in something that's going to help you be productive to the marketplace and be rewarded for that in a commensurate manner. And the second part of return on investment is getting it for the lowest price you can get it for. And that means going after the discounts. That's our approach. And that's a little bit different. And uh, certainly not what guidance counselors or other college advisors do, but that, that is uh, the way that we have, you know, try to um, create for our clients. So I want to just share that with you because it was fresh in my mind. Uh, let me see who's here with us this morning. Good morning to Chuck. Good morning to, oh, to Arata. Good morning. Uh, happy holidays to you too. And hello to Sarah. And hello to, uh, yeah, Sarah. Private colleges are more expensive for sticker price, but the net price is frequently very surprising meaning lower, good surprise, than, uh, than a lot of the uh, out-of-state state universities, mainly because they don't have any money. Their budgets before coronavirus were severely taxed. And after, or, or it's, a, it's not after, but midway through coronavirus, that funding has dried up even more. So there's really a, a crisis um, looming that there, uh, many have started to deal with by laying off administrative people and now starting to um, cut programs, starting to invoke the act of God um, force majeure clauses in union contracts with tenured professors who uh, 
you know, had it pretty easy for, for, for the most part. Uh, I'm not, listen, I'm not, I'm not bashing them. I'm not, a, I'm not an academician myself, but you know, they, they live in an academic world and there's value in giving them tenure so they can speak their minds freely. Uh, it's debatable whether that's a good thing uh, lately, but I think the principle is, is worthwhile, but um, it's now getting to a point where they can never be terminated. And now that's starting to change because of these severe budgetary pressures felt across the board, not just private, not just public, but also private schools too. My, my point though, to answer Sarah's question is you, you just should not rule out a college on sticker price alone because you never know. And even after you get your financial aid award, that could be negotiable. We had some crazy successes last year. Every, every year we have you know a handful of um, big swings in terms of before and after, here's the initial offer of zero. And uh, when the dust settles after four rounds, $52,000 magically, or $38,000. You know, those are actual results from last year. I think this year is gonna be an even better year for negotiating um, because of the coronavirus and colleges scrambling around to lure kids to, to come by bribing them with discounts. So if a college costs $65,000 or $70,000, but they give you, you know, Thirty thousand dollars. They're still going to collect about forty, which is better, uh, better than nothing. And that's the, basically their business model. That that's how they survive. And I think this year there's going to be more competition than ever because of the uh, the, the conditions that we're all going through right now. Um, so that's all I wanted to cover today. If, if you guys have any questions, pop them in right here. This is an abbreviated pre-holiday, non-pearl edition of College Talk Tuesday. Uh, again. Um, we love doing this. We hope you find value in this. Uh, appreciate all the likes and shares and comments that we get rolling in both live and, and on replay. If you have a question and you're not watching this live, uh, I will get into the, uh, the comments uh, in the next 24 hours or so to, uh, to try to answer anything that came in. Uh, and I really hope everyone has a, uh, a terrific next year. Um, if you're on our email list, by the way, Actually, this, this is a little out of the box. Before before I tell you that, let me just answer these questions here. Um, all right, great question from um, Arada. Do, do private colleges extend scholarships for all four years, or once they're in, they get you, they lower the money third and fourth years in college? So that is a question about the old bait and switch. Um, the, the schools that tend to bait and switch, and they may not be doing it um, intentionally, by the way, but the, the, the schools that tend to what they what they refer to as front loading, which is a euphemistic way of saying bait and switch, are the colleges that give need based aid. So so not not merit aid. So so I'm indirectly answering your question. Um, merit aid is based on grades and scores and other stuff. It's not based on your financial need. Your financial need changes from year to year. Income can change. Savings can change. So when you apply for financial aid, the first year, the award you get is for that year. You reapply for the next year of college. You have to reapply every year. Now, sometimes the, the front loading or the bait and switch happens when um, things don't change for you financially, but they from year to year, but they lower your award. That is a very real thing. And what um, you can do to guard yourself against that is you can go look at the uh, what's called the common data set. So if you're interested in a particular college, let's say Syracuse, I would go, I would Google Syracuse common data set. And the key 
stat. It's like it's like twelve or thirteen or so pages of spreadsheets. But the key stat that you want to look at under under the financial aid section is the average award for all freshmen versus the average award for all undergrads. And I think they break that up between need-based aid and merit aid. I'm not sure, but that that's a telling statistic because if they are basically you know close to the same number, that's a good thing. That college isn't known to to uh, front load. But if there's a wide discrepancy between what they give freshmen and what they give to all undergrads, then that could be evidence that they front load. Um, merit aid is generally different. It's generally locked in for all four years, provided that you maintain a minimum GPA. You're in, in good standing. So it might be a 3.2 or a 3.0 or something like that. So merit aid is really no evidence of bait and switch. But for need-based aid, there could be. And that is a great question. Let's see what else we got. Um, Great. Sarah asks, does submitting your FAFSA hurt you with merit if your FAFSA shows you have enough to pay? <clears throat> that um, is a also a very insightful question. And I'm going to give you yet another, what I believe to be counterintuitive answer. Uh, so, so we recommend even to our clients that make, you know, doctors and lawyers, whatever, that make seven figures to submit their financial aid applications because they demonstrate financial strength. And that can have two tangible beneficial effects showing that financial strength. On one hand, it'll either be neutral or helpful, and I think more the latter than the former, in giving your child a boost in the admissions process. Colleges thrive on parents who can pay full price, or at least come up with the money by borrowing. So they need to uh, they need to admit most families, uh, mo most colleges need to admit at least 25, 30% of families that have the ability to pay full price. Okay. So that could help with admissions. But the counterintuitive thing, the thing I think is counterintuitive, is that it also helps you receive merit aid. Because I mentioned this before, families that um, have the ability to pay full price are highly coveted by colleges, so much so that they will offer them merit scholarships to be able to attract them to come. So an example I cite frequently is, let's say there was a hypothetical um, bucket of money, $60,000, and the college had two choices. It could either give it all away to an extremely low-income family who needs it, because you know colleges are, to their credit, very interested in leveling the playing field and making education more accessible. The second scenario in the hypothetical is either give it away, you know, to all to one family or number two, divide it up $15,000 a pop to four mass affluent families who don't qualify for need-based aid. Financial realities being what they are, that college is almost always going to go to the four families that don't need the money. So if you are demonstrating financial strength on your, uh, on your FAFSA and your CSS profile, that's going to help get aid. If you don't apply for need-based aid, that's going to help you get merit aid. And what we would recommend is you don't apply for need-based aid, but you still submit the financial aid forms because that shows financial strength. That's our best advice that we can give any of our clients or any of you guys who, who are watching. All right, see some more action here. Uh, okay, Michelle is sending this to her friend Sal, which is cool. Uh, Michelle... Delutri, how do you get state school to give more than just merit? Um, that is a hard order, tall order, because they don't have money. 
So it's very hard unless you show a super low income and you qualify for federal funds like the like the Pell Grant, which I believe your income has to be in the low fifty thousand dollar range, net net income, taxable income, untaxed income, adjusted gross plus any untaxed income. That's really the only way. Um, because if a state school has money, it's going to be merit aid for, for the most part if you don't have super low income on paper. Uh, Michelle Delutri, when you're done qualifying for need-based aid, I guess that's part two of the question. How do you get the state school to give more than just merit? Uh, what, if you don't, what if we don't qualify for need-based aid? Yeah, it's, it's hard. I mean, what I would try to do is have other offers from another uh, comparable state school that's higher and then show that to the one that you're trying to get more money from but financial realities being what they are it's very hard to do that but i was still the, the the best defense is a good offense whether you're talking about state schools or private colleges which is a little bit easier for if you have offers from competing colleges and you can say look you're my top choice school however we're being forced to consider these other offers due to financial concerns only if there's any way that you can meet or exceed these other offers I'm committing, rushing in my housing deposit. Uh, you know, I'll see you there, live or virtually in uh, in August. Um, that's a very good argument. That, that's that's uh, to me about the only chance you have. But it's a long shot with state schools, to be totally frank. Um, and good morning to Lori. All right, great. So, all right, I'm going to wrap up here uh, because again, I wanted to keep this brief, pre-holiday cheer, special edition of uh, College Talk Tuesday. So thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of 2020 and put it behind you and start a new uh, blank slate in, uh, in January. And hopefully we've learned a lot from 2020 and we can apply that toward 2021 and adapt and uh, come out even stronger, firing in all cylinders. That's my optimistic hope for all of you guys and, and us. So on behalf of Pearl and the rest of the team here at, uh, at Lockwood College Prep, have a great holiday and happy new year. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the College Planning Edge podcast. For more information about our Inner Circle group coaching membership, which is a great way to dip your toes in the water of the whole college planning morass, um, and get access to our double secret software, College Guru software that helps you create a strategic list of colleges and identify fat, juicy, merit aid, and need-based aid opportunities as well as some other benefits, check out the Lockwood Inner Circle at lockwoodinnercircle.com and use the coupon code PODCAST for 50% off the first month's membership. Thanks for listening.